Greetings and welcome to Snapshot. If this is your first time here, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Andrea Hernandez, and I run an international snack cult that worships sexy pantry dropper items, sultry snacks, and talks about upcoming food and beverage trends. For more, check out our website at notanothercbdproduct.com or go to snackshot.com. Today's episode is all about the American Snack Boy. If you don't know what a snack boy is, think fuckboy meets Erewhon. On today's program, peek into the future. We'll be talking about food and beverage as signalers, the role of 90s aesthetics, the better for you chasm, entering the snack paradox. What's new, you ask? And a spoonful of news. Hope you enjoy. There is an idea of a snack boy, but there is no real me, only an entity on an air one run. And though I can hide my cold recess, and you can shake my hand and feel snackland's dust gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our hard seltzer picks are comparable, I simply am not there. Ah, millennials. We believe in taking care of ourselves as reflected in our purchases. The majority of us fill our baskets with products that promise Instagrammable health. But for the most part, this behavior stems out of seeing food and beverage brands as an extension of ourselves. Yes, we want better, but we wanted to signal affluence as well. Less than being a yuppie, the snack boy fits more of the criteria that Webb Smith defined a few years back. Henry, high earners, not rich yet. Food, after all, is more attainable on a daily basis. But in the same way we would signal walking down the airports in our overpriced carry-ons, we've made olive oil and spices the signalers of pantry shelves. To be honest, I can't recall growing up with ketchup as something to brag about, but now we crave, at times in a manic manner, the ability to display our fermented dark horse organic umami ketchups in our bare pantry shelves. In its 2021 trend report, Pinterest noted that the area of the home that was getting the most makeovers was the kitchen particularly the pantry shelf, as well as cabinets. You know that cringe chug saying, I want my money where I can see it in my closet? Well, we want our money where we can see and eat it, inside our pristine-looking fridges and pantries. After all, the shelfie is the new selfie. With this behavior in mind, the modern grocer, as well as upcoming food and beverage brands, are shaping themselves to fit the criteria that would satisfy that urge to signal. If you've ever watched American Psycho, you could easily compare Erewhon to Dorcia, and the infamous business card scene could be subbed by a bunch of snack boys exchanging discoveries found at an overcrowded modern grocer beverage aisle. A sea of sameness, but not in their eyes, of course. They can pick out the differences between hemp and CBD, as well as nootropic and caffeine, but to the foreign eye, it would look and feel like sheer insanity. In Horny Horny People, I laid the foundations for my theory as to where this behavior stems from in millennials, relating to snacks being the original signal of us, because it was the first parlay into perceived value, as in, you knew that Dunkaroos and Lunchables were top-tier trade, as opposed to your mom's PB&J. No offense to anyone's mom, but everyone knows playgrounds in the 90s were brutal. To better understand this, you have to go back in time, to where the majority of us grew up, Sorry, geriatrics, <laughs> I'm not including you in this, so kindly fuck off. The 90s. If you're like me, you probably filled your spare time as a kid devouring Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. 
remember one Saturday morning? Regardless of what your channel of preference was, we can all agree that the cartoons we grew up with were garbage. And I mean, literal garbage. I present for your consideration, ah, real monsters. It literally took place under a city dump. And one of the main characters was a furry orange monster who carried its eyeballs in their hands and had an abnormal armpit stench. The main female monster scared people by reaching inside her body and pulling her organs inside out. Yo, this is the shit we literally grew up with. If you've suppressed this memory, perhaps this is a good place to stop. Were 90s cartoons just a permeation of grunge? Grunge was an alternate movement, a pushback that rose out of the yuppie era, and it can be reflected in our childhood television. I mean, who could forget the show Creepy Crawlers that was filled with green slime? And pause. Can we just talk about our obsession with slime? Remember Slime Time Live? Anyways, back to Creepy Crawlers. They have like a literal commando of grotesque mutant insects. And how come sewage was like a main theme in several cartoons? Not to mention even just the eerie and scary disproportions of 90s cartoons. Take Ren and Stimpy, for example. Not only was Ren's angry face like top most disturbing thing that I've seen as a kid, but there's so many bizarre scenes that to this day, I can't believe grace our screens. Sorry, but what the actual fuck? Before digressing too much, let's bring this back to the original theme of why are we so obsessed with aesthetically pleasing things in the first place? Was the blending of the brands that we experienced in 2010s just a refraction as we entered adulthood, where we bended what we grew up with into something that was more soothing to our gazes, as a counter to the horrid visions of younger days? Is this the reason why we're so obsessed with that sleek, mate apothecary bottle look that has permeated from everything to olive oil, aperitives, and alcohol? The same reason I think Jinkos and Bedazzled Dead Hardy hats have led today's fashionistas to opt for Amy Londor that screams yuppie aesthetics. I am here to theorize that this is the case. Pleasurable pastels were a way to undo the goo from our past. But fuck, who can blame us? When did we start to see the suppressed trauma yield fruit? As soon as millennials came of age, duh, what I call the better for you chasm. It's when our pool as a generation got stronger. You saw the rise of the better brands that saw an unfulfilled niche. Who is catering to the needs of the snack boy? Think of what Sir Kensington was able to do. Become such a threat to the big food establishment that Unilever had to buy it because it couldn't compete. On the premise of better ketchup. Halo Top has a similar story. By the mid-2010s, we saw something that hadn't happened in decades. Water sales started outpacing soda. We know that this sparked the initial seltzer wars. Beer and wine started losing market share to <laughs> hard seltzer. Crazy fact. In 2019, the sale of bottles of wine declined for the first time in 25 years. By 2020, we've already crossed the better for you chasm, and snack boys have become apex consumers. The same way Dorcia is the hotspot in American Psycho, so has Erewhon become the watering hole for the snack boy persona. Consider this piece in the New York Times that details this very behavior. Trickle down to mainstream, we see these concepts popping up in every major city, as well as two-tier cities, all catering to the American snack boy. LA Mag recently spoke on the rise of neighborhood grocers. The truth is, this is what millennials want, groceries with a side of aesthetics. 
I can't post a photo of my pristine metallic basket that serves as a perfect backdrop to Reese's cans, spoon sauce, and hot sloth, bruh, I don't want it. Big Bunny knows this too. To cater to the ever-hungry snack boy, we see the likes of Foxtrot Market raise large amounts of capital to expand their storefront with a coming soon to a city near you type of scale. See, we're done with the better for you options. We're now into perpetual discovery phase, entering these stores that are built with a snack boy in mind versus crowded with irrelevant brands just because they can afford more slots. <laughs> Sorry, big food. It's like pressing a button that says, fuck me up fam. An endless Eden that offers pleasantries in the form of refreshing ruby, Aurora elixirs, dreamy dram cans, indulge in ice creams that are non-dairy, mushroom jerky, and more. Enter the rise of functional unwinding, sober curiosity, shroom boom, CBD times CBD, brave new alt world, and more. We are now in an explorative phase that is going to define what the modern pantry looks like possibly without the existence of any legacy brands in tow. Millennials are also now breeding. We're literally morphing Gen Alpha into Minimis, as seen around these trendy grocers, these tiny beans surrounding themselves with these beautiful products. And who knows, maybe they too will grow to reject them. And the cycle continues. I mean, it's also necessary to mention that snack boys are top tier. And if 2020 taught us anything, is that when shit hits the ceiling, we resort back to what is familiar to us. That's why Big Food, despite being our nemesis, became our biggest snack piece. After ghosting them for years, we texted them, you up? This is why I have been preaching for a year now, the need for curation, the utility first mindset. The fuck is this product actually a replacement of? If not, the average consumer will retreat to what is familiar with. The snack paradox details this behavior. People can be turned off by adaptogenic cookie dough. Why would it necessitate that? As someone who's consumer-centric and keeps a finger on the pulse of a more mainstream audience, as opposed to, say, an Erewhon shelf, I've had many conversations on the vagueness and buzzword-filled frenzy that is seen online and in shelves, etc. Did you see Dolly launch functional beverages? When does the madness end? Similar to American Psycho, when he literally sees signs on the ATM that say, feed me a stray cat. That's exactly what the current situation feels like. Take, for example, this brand that is asking you to hydrate your coffee. What does that even mean? Also, is it the purpose of these products to be more of a compliment and not like more fucking work on our end? Or like powdered kombucha? Why is this necessary? I can, you know, just buy it when I want it? The idea of carrying around powdered kombucha sticks stresses me out. Let's be real. If you want to capture mass audiences, you have to meet people in the middle. Like the secondary characters surrounding Patrick Bateman. Can't trust the perception of the American snack boy. You gotta do a double take. Ground yourself in reality a lot more. We've now reached the curated part of the program. But before, let's introduce you to our sponsor. Placebo a no-tropic, non-functional beverage that does nothing. It's just ads. Placebo. So if you subscribe to Snackshot, you know that there's always a section where I share the brands that are featured because they fit in the trend um, that I'm speaking on, or, you know, they're just the cool stuff that I scope out for you because I'm, I'm out here looking out for y'all, okay? So let's start off with Nudie. Nudie is a better-for-you ramen brand that is pre-launch, 
it's female founded, but I'm really excited because like I, you know, looked into it and it does seem like they've been doing this a couple of years, like spent, you know, iterating their recipe and, you know, put a lot of work behind it. And the branding is pretty dope. I'm excited. Um, I'll be letting you guys know when they officially launch, but keep an eye out for Nudie. Inner Atlas is a mushroom latte blend um, company from Australia. And I don't know what the Australians eat or drink, but they have like the most killer aesthetics. I see a lot of aesthetics um, permeate from Australia into everywhere else because it just had like the most pristine, a lot of Wes Anderson-esque <laughs> type of palettes. But um, so Inner Atlas has three different blends that actually cater to different um, times of the day, which I, you know, falls in line with the functional unwinding that I usually um, talk about. So check them out, Inner Atlas. Lilk, move over, Oatly. <laughs> it's time for the plant blends <laughs> to make, you know, their own debut. But Lilk is, a, I guess, a different alternative uh, to dairy that is a combination of quinoa, rice, and oats. So Lilk. And remember that um, you can always check out the actual and i'll leave the link in the bio of this episode you can always go reference the actual issue to check out the brands and they're all linked etc there so um speaking of so 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 it's a sake seltzer that is the cutest cutest can that i've seen in a while and um i just love the chrome aesthetics it's also recently launched it's really really cute i think it's only available in california at the moment but Definitely check it out if you're in California. Keep an eye on it if you're around the rest of the U.S. <laughs> and also, you know, I love to feature a lot of you. If you're new here, just know that I also like to feature a lot of international brands. So don't be shocked. You're like, oh, God, you know, I do have a global audience. So, you know, shout out to Australia and shout out to Mexico. We have um, this mezcal brand called De Ella. And it's such a beautiful bottle. I'm like... If anybody is listening from Mexico, just please know my birthday is not anytime soon. But, you know, I'm always happy to indulge in mezcal. So please either send me a bottle or definitely invite me to Mexico to partake with this mezcal. Um, again, the brand is the Ella. Then we have Corner Store, which has like the cutest 70s branding that I really, really like because like I'm very into the domestic cozy vibes. Um, but also, I just really love that they're from this city called Kalamazoo, which I'm like, I'm obsessed with that name. It's just, there's so much going on. Um, but there are still pre-launch, so be on the lookout. Again, it's Corner Store. And then we have one of the controversial, I always like to <laughs> include some controversial uh, brands that I find out there, because I'm like, I mean, it could not just be me, right? Or maybe it is, but, you know, I always leave it open to feedback and please by all means if you think that you know this is actually a good idea like roast me and just text me and be like you're fucking wrong and you're dumb <laughs> but this company called frost it literally is like saying like it's like a guilt-free protein on the go frosty and i'm just trying to figure out like who is this really for because i'm like if i'm like indulging in frosting i imagine like i'm in a setting where i'm like relaxed right it's like an indulgence but it's like i'm gonna be like fucking sneaky like frosting in a car or on my uber way to somewhere and just like oh fuck i gotta you know like I, it's so essential i gotta take my frosting man like it has to be on the go i don't know that's just me it could it could be just me um but yeah 
for sure let me know what your thoughts are on Ron Frost. Um, then we have Liquid Light, which if you know me and you follow Snapshot enough, you know that I'm very into gel, like gel pen aesthetics. And if you look at these bottles, you'll like see what I mean. But it's further proof, in my opinion, that gel pen aesthetics from 2000s um, are officially making a comeback. Um, so hopefully I'm right. Um, and speaking of wines, we have Starla that also recently launched um, and beautiful brandy. It's a non-alcoholic, alcohol-removed brand. And please don't hate me if you're really into these things and you know more about the processes. I'm just very confused. What does alcohol-removed wine mean? And, you know, why is it labeled that way? But branding is beautiful. Check it out. Starla. And then we have another controversial ad in here, which is Cali Rosa, which is like the newest tequila uh, brand that launched recently that's celebrity owned. And this one is owned by Adam Levine. And I'm like, et tu, Adam, literally, like, I can't believe like, and also can, can like, if I doubt any celebrities listening to me, but like, can y'all sh- like, just stop, please. Like, uh, why is everybody so obsessed with fucking tequila? Like, why aren't they launching beer brands? I don't get it. Like, you guys are all American. You should launch, like, a fried Oreo brand or something. I don't know. Just my opinion. <laughs> Next, we have Casa Lu, which I love, love, love. It's like a Miami uh, hard seltzer that's actually rum seltzer, which I, I'm, like, super excited because I actually do occasionally have, like, rum and seltzer. Like, I mix it. So, like, I totally, like, can already know, like, what it tastes like. I'm obsessed. And the funniest thing that I saw, um, again, this is based in Miami. They they have an actual rum seltzer keg, and I died. I was like, dude, this is the most Miami thing, Latino thing ever. So, Casalu, if you're listening, big love to y'all. Can't wait to try it. Um, then we have this beautiful bottle of agave that is Chilcuague, which, don't freak out, it's Mexican. Um, and chilcuague means golden root. Um, it's really cool. It has like the root. If you look at it, uh, it actually has like the root inside. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Shared it. Would look good in your bar cart. Thank me later. Um, and also, you know, if you're in Italy, hello, ciao. And, uh, you know, if you want to check out, it's called Sanacore, this bakery that actually started doing their own liquor which I found genius. Um, And so they have like limoncello, they have mandarino liquor, beautiful, beautiful branding. It's so simple. It's like literally just like transparent, but it has like all these like swirls in different colors. I don't know. It's, It's just like such a beautiful product. If you're going to Italy, be sure to check it out. Sanacore. And then last but not least, we have Pet Project, which is Pet Nabra but with like effervescence, like it's like a pet net, but like with bubbly. Um, yeah, I really like it, super minimal, but you know, I fuck with the aesthetic. So included it also recently launched. So check it out. Um, and yeah, this was our curated section again, brought to you by Placebo. And we've made it to Spoonful of Muse, open wide. Just kidding. Don't come near me with your mouth open. But the first piece of news I wanted to discuss, well, not really discuss, I guess, just tell you because I'm talking to myself, but 
Um, let's talk about Notco getting a you know one point five billion dollar valuation in their latest round. And to me, in my opinion, I'm super happy for them. They're brand based in Chile. They have AI uh, patent um, that literally like they have technology that helps them make better dairy alternatives from ingredients like cabbage and pineapple and I don't know, and got, you know, the interest of people like Bezos who actually, um, you know, invested in them and actually brought them, helped them get that distribution in the in the U.S. Uh, through Whole Foods. But they're also available in other uh, retailers like Webman's and Sprouts. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually really happy for them. You know, go Latin America. I'm happy to see, you know, more Latin American uh, companies, you know, get their accolades. So congratulations to Notco. Rooting for you guys. And then the second piece of news, like, I'm just, like, so tired. I'm like, guys, it's not really that big of a deal. But everybody was losing their minds because Pizza Hut dropped this, like, streetwear, like, whatever merchandise. Like, come on. Like, fast food and merchandise are, like, go hand in hand. And, like, yeah, Popeye's did it first. Did it with Ivy Park, this spoof of that Ivy Park thing that I thought was genius. And it's like can we roast Forbes instead of Pizza Hut? I mean, it makes much more sense for Pizza Hut to do it than Forbes, to be honest. Like, again, fast food and merch just are just, like, literally, like, just feels like a marriage to me. Like, a, like a actual, like, it makes sense. But, you know, feel free to let me know what you think. Uh, I I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, but still thought it was worthy of sharing just because it apparently spurred controversy. And then we also have Nobel, that it's an alternative dairy brand that uh, is pre-launched. They recently raised $75 million from the likes of Bill Gates and, if you can believe it, Anderson Horowitz. Um, and what they're trying to do is trying to do a better-for-you alternative like cheese option that actually has that like texture and like you know like that pull. They want to have that pull factor, which... It, it legit, like, legitimately is a pain point. And if you look at the data, you see that dairy is has been where most of these, you know, consumers that are trying to, you know, do less dairy and be more conscious, et cetera, like the, the, the last thing that they're going to convert on is cheese because even lactose intolerant people are like, you know, cheese is so good. Like the texture of cheese is so good. And so alts haven't been able to do a good job in replicating that. So let's see if Nobel can achieve it. I think it's a pretty, you know, um, under, big undertaking that they're, that they're, I guess, taking on. Um, so, you know, wishing them luck. And then the last thing I wanted to share with you guys is this new uh, website called textisle.com. Um, it's where you can actually, like, send pictures of your receipts. It's, like, it works through SMS. But it's pretty cool because it's like the snack that, you know, talks back. It's, you know, getting cash back for your snack. So be sure to check it out, textile.com. And that comes, you know, the end of our spoonful of news. Do you feel informed? I hope so. Thank you so much for being here. This is the first iteration of Snapchat's podcast and hopefully we evolve as we grow. Um, but thank you for being here and be sure to check out snackshot.com. If you want to look at the archive of past issues, you can find them at notanothercbbproduct.com. Thanks guys. Have a good week.